You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Again, good morning. First, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at South Point, and I have I've been out of the normal rhythm of preaching uh, for the last five weeks. And so if you've come um, and, uh, and worshiped with us over the last five weeks, you probably haven't seen me. Uh, but I am, I am super glad to be in front of you this morning. I'm incredibly grateful to be opening up God's Word and uh, digging in with you. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and we have been in a series on spiritual gifts. And I think it's so neat that I've been able to firsthand live out Uh, that one body, many parts over the last several weeks, because uh, several weeks ago, I I had what seemed in the moment to be a heart attack. Uh, And then we found out afterwards that it was actually something that they call a panic attack. Never had that before. Haven't had it again. It was quite embarrassing. Um, But our pastors of this church, um, they rallied around me really quickly. And they said, go and take some time. And, uh, and so over the last several weeks, the pastors at South Point have filled in the gaps. They have um, preached in my stead. They've shepherded in my stead. And many of you in our church have just stepped up to serve me and my family. Uh, my wife hasn't had uh, any responsibilities over the last several weeks in kids' ministry. And I could just tell you that we are grateful. I know what the Apostle Paul means when he says that we are one body with many parts. I'm thankful for you. I'm I'm grateful for you. And so, again, if you haven't found 1 Corinthians 13 in your Bibles, would you turn there with me? And we haven't been able to do this for some time, or at least I haven't been able to do it with you. And so what I would like to do is, if you're able, would you just stand with me uh, to honor God's word as I read it? 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul starts like this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I guess I should say that I'm doing well. Um, My family is doing well. I forgot to mention that at the beginning. I explained to you what happened. I feel greatly benefited by the pastors and the members here at South Point, but I'm also doing well. And so I'm grateful to God uh, for this season. Um, Even if you're here for the first time this morning, and this is your first time in a church building ever, it's likely that you've heard at least some of the verses that I just read. It's read at almost every wedding ceremony that I've ever attended, and and don't hear me saying anything against it. It's God's word. It's always good. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But perhaps on those occasions, the context of this very passage, 1 Corinthians 13, is lost on us, or perhaps because that is the only time that we hear such a passage, the context is lost as a result of that, but because chapter 13 is smack dab in the middle of chapter 12 and chapter 14. Now, we could all guess that, but chapter 12 and chapter 14, if you've been with us during this series, are also talking about spiritual gifts. And so if 12 and 14 are speaking about spiritual gifts, then that must mean that Paul is also speaking of spiritual gifts in chapter 13 as well. So when you think of the love chapter from here on out in your life, make sure that you also put together with that spiritual gifts, because that's what Paul has in mind when he's speaking here about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, we see here in this text that love is even more important than the spiritual gifts. Just before this, in chapter 12, beginning in verse 21, look there if you have your Bible open with me. Paul writes this, verse 27, actually. Chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles with the implicit? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire, Paul says, the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Now, what is, we have to ask, the more excellent way? It's love. And that's where Paul starts in chapter 13. Love must be the way, hear this, in which spiritual gifts are used in the church as well as the metric of her maturity. I'll say it one more time. Love must be the way in which spiritual gifts are used in the church as well as the metric of her maturity. Let's unpack this in three ways. The first is this. Your spiritual gift, if not used in love, is useless. Verse 1. 
Paul says again, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, if you've been here at all for the series, you've probably seen that the issue in the church at Corinth is not that the fact that these Corinthian people do not have any spiritual gifts. In fact, they have plenty. Paul says at the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verse 7, that they are not lacking in any gift. So that's not the problem that the Corinthian church has. They have every single gift that they need to be a functioning body for the glory of God. They have it all. So what's the issue? It's that they think that they can operate the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit. And that's namely love, which tops the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. You see, there's a lot of folks in the Corinthian church that are using one of the gifts, like tongues, within the gathered assembly. But, but you see, in chapter 14, we see that they are using it in a way that alienates guests that are coming in for the first time to the gathered assembly, and they're also using it in a way that does not accord with what God has prescribed his church and how they should worship. It's not right. They're not using the spiritual gifts that God has given them in the fruit of the Spirit, namely love. They're using it to build themselves up instead of the whole church. They're thinking, this gift that the Spirit of God has gifted me is for my good and my good alone. And it seems to be that spiritual gifts are actually the opposite of that. If you're a Christian, you have been given a gift or a set of gifts, and it is not for yourself only. It is for the good of the church, that the church would be built up in love towards maturity. It is so that the church would exemplify the glory of God in one another and to the world. But Paul says exaggeratively, you could speak in every single language known to man and to the angels, but if you don't have love, it's just noise. And that's coming from the apostle Paul, a man who says in this book that he speaks tongues in tongues more than anyone else. He says, you could speak in every tongue known to man and known to angels, but if you do not have love, it's useless. It's said that in this day that gongs, what he just gave us, this picture of gongs were used in uh, pagan temple worship. If this is the case, Paul may be picking up on a cultural reference to say something like, your spiritual gift used without love is as pointless as the noise that is made in the Greek temple down the road. It's pointless. It's not helpful. Even in the Christian church, if your gift given to you by the Spirit of God is not used in, the, in love, what Paul's saying. Paul isn't done making his point, though. Verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. You can have all these gifts, he's saying, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, you name it. You can have the gift, but if you do not have love, your gifts count for nothing. They mean nothing. It would be like me getting 
a bouquet of flowers. I spent money on that gift and I have taken it home to my wife and I've placed it on the, the kitchen counter so as soon as she walks in the door, she sees those flowers and she eventually comes in that door and she sees the flowers that I've bought her. She's supposed to see this spectacular gift. And thankfully, my wife is a lover of daisies. It's the cheapest flower you can possibly buy. But to her, when she sees these daisies, she thinks, what an amazing gift. And as soon as she sees those beautiful daisies, she also sees me in the living room sitting on the couch saying, what's for dinner? Now you tell me, all of a sudden, that spectacular gift, if not used in love, becomes rather pointless quickly, right? Who cares that you bought me a bouquet of daisies? You've not operated in love past that point. That's what Paul is communicating. Fine gift with no love equals what's the point? It's useless. It's impractical for the local, local church. In fact, it could actually be destructive. He continues in verse 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Listen, if your gifts are to count, if your gifts are to build up the body in love to maturity, then your internal life, don't miss this, must be of great concern to you. Your internal life must be of great concern to you if your spiritual gift is going to matter at all in this church. Why? Because it matters to God. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. What does man look on? Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Paul says, You could give everything you own away to the poor or to a brother or sister in need in the church, or you could die in persecution, but if you don't have love, you've gained nothing. Many of you have taken the spiritual gifts inventory at southpoint.org, and if you haven't yet and you want to, it's still up and available for you to do so. Now, these things aren't magic, okay? They aren't always correct, they don't get it perfectly. They just give you an idea of how the Lord might have gifted you to use your gifts in the church. But your spiritual gifts are best understood and developed in the context of community in the local church. That's, that's the caveat, okay? Use the gift test. It's helpful. It can be helpful. It's not always 100% correct. Developing your gift is best understood in the context of community in this local church. But nevertheless, the inventory can be helpful in processing how the Lord might have gifted you for service in his church. So I am glad that many of you have taken that assessment. And perhaps some of you, even for the first time, are wondering what it looks like to serve Christ's body as a unique image bearer of God in this church. That's incredibly encouraging. Like I, I am very encouraged by those steps. But as I was reading those verses, something stuck out to me. Imagine having taken the spiritual gift inventory. And some of it you have, it, it basically ranks what appears to be some highest giftings. 
And it'll give you three that rank highest in that inventory. And as you're reading through this, something pops up on the, the computer screen. Now, this is not actually what happens. This is a hypothetical. If you're reading that inventory results and something pops up on the screen and it says one more question, and that question that pops up on the screen is, do you serve Christ's church out of love? So after evaluating for a few seconds, you answer no. After considering that for just a moment, Paul is essentially saying, the results of your spiritual gifting inventory might as well just vanish off the screen. They might as well go away. Because your, your giftings are useless in this church, in the body of Christ universal, if they are not filled with and fueled by the love of Christ. Because who cares if you have this gift or that gift if you don't have love? The fruit of the Spirit, specifically love, is essential in using the gifts of the Spirit. Without the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are useless. Now, with that, I think it's important to note that the spiritual gifts are still operational without love. You can still use the spiritual gift that God has given you. If you're in Christ, you have one. You can still use it in the church if you don't have love. Now, this should help us as we function within the body and see one of our members operating in a sinful way. Why? Because oftentimes, I think what we do is that we can look at one another, especially those that have more highly visible gifts in the church, and when we see something sinful or off about a particular person or individuals, we convince ourselves that nothing could be wrong with that person and nothing could be going on sinful with that person because of the extraordinary gifts that they appear to be using in full form in Christ's church. Does that make sense? You can use the spiritual gift that God has given you without love. People do it all the time. I do it. And that should cause us to be wary even when we are operating in our spiritual giftings. Again, we go back to this. You are to take great care of your internal self as a member of Christ's church. So take care not to assume because you are using your gifts in the church that they are being used in the right way. Your gift or giftings do not free you to live however you want, but rather, Christ has freed you, and the Spirit has gifted you to live in service to others out of love according to his word. Your spiritual gift, if not used in love, is useless. Second, I want us to see in verses 4 through 7 that your spiritual gift is to be rooted in the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 4, look there in the text with me. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Now, before we get too far into this, what kind of love is the Apostle Paul referencing? He isn't talking about this uh, philia love, the love exhibited between friends. 
He's not talking about this eros love, that, that romantic love demonstrated between lovers. He's talking about an agape love, the kind of love that one author writes is the generous move by one person for the sake of another. It refers to a parent's willingness to do everything for an infant that does little more than disrupt sleep, spit up, mess its diaper, and cry for food. It refers to an individual's willingness to care for his or her parents as they grow older and unable to feed, bathe, or even dress themselves. It refers to a friend's willingness to step in and leverage all of his or her resources to help someone who's going through a difficult time. It is one person on behalf of another. In the first century, Christians actually took this Greek word agape, and they redefined it and then insisted that this agape love permeate every single relationship known to man, that husbands were to agape their wives. Christians were to agape one another in community. Christians were to even agape their enemies. It was agape love that would see the marriage relationship through every imaginable circumstance till death do us part. It was agape love that would unite the church under one banner, that is Christ. It was agape love that would turn enemies into friends and transform culture. This agape love is the kind of love that has existed for all time within the members of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's be honest, though. We're a tad bit jaded when we hear that word love, aren't we? Uh, one author uh, writes in his book, love is a most confusing word. We use it in a thousand ways. We say, I love hot dogs. And in the next breath, we say, I love my mother. We speak of loving activities, swimming, skiing, hunting, fishing. We love objects, food, cars, and houses. We love animals. Some of you do, at least. Dogs, cats, even pet snails. We love nature, trees, grass, flowers, and the weather. We love people, mother, father, son, daughter, parents, wives, husbands, and friends. And if that isn't confusing enough... We also use love to explain behavior. I did it because I love her, says a man who's involved in an adulterous relationship. God calls it sin, but he calls it love. The wife of an alcoholic picks up the pieces after her husband's latest episode. Some call it codependency, but she calls it love. The parent indulges all the child's wishes. Some would say it's irresponsible parenthood, but the parent calls it love. If that's what we think about the word love, no wonder it's extremely difficult to live out in our lives and especially in the church that Christ died for. Thankfully, Paul defines what this kind of love is to look like. He's, he's not left us alone to say, hey, this is how you're to operate these spiritual gifts, and he just gives us nothing. No, in fact, he begins to define the characteristics of love, the markers of love in which we should look for in ourselves and in our church. Again, he says this, love is patient. 
as opposed to the way that the Corinthian church had been operating and taking communion, where many of the Corinthians were going ahead of all the others, and they were eating up all the food in, in the love feast, and they were drinking all the wine so that others were left hungry and others were not allowed to partake in the communion meal. Patience is others-oriented. It has a long fuse And it's not just speaking to situations here. It's first speaking to individuals. Are you patient? Is the love of Christ displayed in the way that you feel towards other people, even when they make you late? Or even when they do something in Christ's church that you don't think that they should be doing? That matters even in the operating of spiritual gifts. Love is kind, Paul says. It does not envy or boast. Some in the church were going around picking their favorite preachers, happily picking Team Caleb or Jeff, Team Michael or Mark, and saying, I I identify with that preacher. I, I like to get behind that particular preacher. That's who I am. That's that's who I'm going to follow. Others were boasting in who had baptized them. To which Paul rhetorically questions in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 13, is Christ divided? Love, you see, will rejoice in the success of others. Love, you see, will rejoice in the giftings that God has given other members in our body. It's so often easy to look at others who have been gifted more visibly than you have been and to think, Man, if I had been given that gift, I would use it in such a better way than that individual. And often, in sin, we can also look at others who have been given the similar gifts as ourselves. This is where often envy and jealousy come forward, and we say, man, look at the way that I can use this gift in comparison to her, in comparison to him. I must be something special, right? God is, must have been, he must have given me or blessed me with an extra measure of grace to operate in this particular way. We can become boastful. We become arrogant. We become envious. Love is not arrogant or rude, the text says. It is not self-centered, but rather other-centered. Verse 5, love does not insist on its own way. And the one that always gets me is it is not irritable. It's not irritable or resentful. Some translations render irritable as easily angered, as though there is this anger that is always right below the surface, just waiting to come out if someone in the church does something wrong to you or something that offends you. It's just waiting to boil over, to spew over. Love isn't easily irritated. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. As one commentator said, love is truth exalting. It never compromises the truth. True love stands up for the truth, even if it is painful. True love sometimes says hard things. Verse 7, love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I think this is really where we can shine as the Christian community in a lost and dying world. Love is by nature optimistic. 
Love looks at people in and within our Christian community, and we believe because we know that God can and he is working for good at each and every, every member in this church. That this love looks to empower others to persevere even in the worst of times. Why do we believe all things? Why do we hope all things? Because we are a people who know the gospel. We know that we were once running far from a holy God. We were once rebelling from him, and yet he found us in our sin. The the scripture tells us that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He found us. He saved us. He ransomed us. And he gave us a family. He gave us a family in which to display the love that God has displayed for us in Christ to one another, to a people that sometimes don't deserve it. In fact, don't deserve it a lot. In fact, never deserve it, right? A Christian is to be the most optimistic because we are a people who know all too well what it means to be brought from death to life, from rebellion of God into glad service of him. We are to believe the best about our brothers and sisters in this common faith. Your spiritual gift is to be rooted in the fruit of the Spirit, finally. Your spiritual gift is pointing to a greater reality, verses 8 through 13. Paul now moves on to the finiteness of the spiritual gifts as opposed to love. Look at what he writes in verse 8. Love, it never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. The gifts are passing, but love will not. The Corinthians needed to get this. We need to get this. Love will continue on into eternity. These gifts are temporary. It doesn't mean that they don't have any value. They absolutely do. The Spirit of God has gifted us with them. They just don't have eternal or lasting value. The Corinthians had actually put an emphasis on seemingly very good things. I'm sure they had great ministries going on within the church. They were using really good gifts from God, but they had forgotten the more excellent way. How are we, as God's people, to use the gifts that God has given us in love, the thing that matters most? Listen to verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Even as important as the spiritual gifts are, which is the reason that we've done this series, we must keep them in their proper context. If we begin to use our gifts and fail to operate in love, we've actually accomplished nothing. In fact, it could be destructive in thinking that we are a more mature church in using our gifts or for using our gifts than we actually are. Someday in the future, Jesus will return for his bride. Jesus will return for his church, and we long for that incredible day. And when he does, the text indicates that there will be no more need for these spiritual gifts. They've just been pointing us to that very reality. So don't miss paying more attention to the characteristic that will forever remain, and that is love. Paul illustrates this beginning in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. 
When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Kim Riddlebarger writes that Paul is reminding the church at Corinth that it is time to grow up. It's important that we grow up and leave behind those childish things which draw our attention away from Christ and his gospel. We must move beyond, and we will move beyond one day, an immature preoccupation with ourselves, as children are apt to do, and learn to consider that love for and service of others is God's purpose behind all spiritual gifts. Verse 13, the last one. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is a genuine result of believing in the gospel. 1 Peter 1 beginning in verse 18, spells this out. Knowing that you were ransomed, the Christian that is, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Spiritual gifts are good but they are nothing without love. And yet the love I know naturally is self-serving and short-fused. It's the kind of love that was exemplified in the Corinthian church. Paul has shown us a better way of love, though. And in pointing us to the greater reality that is Christ coming to redeem his bride, he is pointing us to Christ himself. For in Christ, what do we see? We see in Christ fully, supremely, adequately that love is patient and kind, that it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You see, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, because love is found completely and surely in Christ himself. True love is Christ sitting with his enemies and making them his friends. True love is Christ laying down his life for us and dying on a cross for our sins. As John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. True love is Christ extending forgiveness to his enemies as they nailed him on a wooden cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You can hear Christ himself saying in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, true love is Christ spending tireless mornings and afternoons and evenings with needy mobs that had absolutely nothing to give Jesus in return. True love is Christ reaching out to the blind, the crippled, the leprous, and diseased. 
Believer, when Christ looks at us, he doesn't see a long list of sins. He sees his son. He looks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We are dearly loved in God because of the work of son Christ Jesus. And as recipients of this love in Christ, we are to demonstrate it in others, to others in this church. As we close, I have just a few questions of application. The first is this. Have you mastered your spiritual gift without the Spirit's fruit? Again, as as we've been looking at in, in this text and in many of the other texts that we've been looking at in this series, the, the question must be this. The gift that the Spirit of God has given me, if I am in Christ, and he has given me one if so, I could actually get really good at using it or using various gifts within this church and yet be using them in a way that is detrimental to others in this church. And so we must do the internal work. We must ask the Spirit of God and plead with him this morning that he might reveal to us, is there any way, Father, that I have been operating under a spiritual gift guise in this church without love? Am I doing that? Are you doing that? Are we doing that? If we are, it might be that we have wrongly assessed ourselves in thinking that we are more mature in the faith as a church than we actually are. It would cause us in this moment to ask the Spirit of God to help. Second, or with that first question, have you mastered your spiritual gift without the Spirit's fruit? And as you evaluate in just a moment, I do want to give us as God's people an opportunity to evaluate that before him. If, if the answer that you come to after evaluating uh, what is going on in the internal self is yes, that I have been doing that, I want you to hear with the text of Scripture that that is certainly a dangerous place to be, but it is not a hopeless place to be. It's not a hopeless place because Christ himself has ransomed us. He's already given us a home. He's already given us a family, and we are a redeemed people. This morning, as one of his children, would you just repent of your sins, and you'll find quick Quick fellowship restored with the Trinity. Second, the question is this. When confronted with a lack of love, where will you turn? If a brother or sister approached you in our church family and said, it seems to be that you are operating in a spiritual gift without the fruit of love operating in your life, where are you going to go in that moment? Are you going to run to all kinds of excuses? Are you going to run to all kinds of self-defenses? This is just how it is. This is just how I've been wired. This is just my personality. It's who I'm supposed to be. It's how I've been living. Or when the Spirit convicts you of such a sin, will you run as is freely open to the cross of Christ? 
knowing it is there and there alone that you understand what you've done, that you understand that you are once in a hopeless place, destined for the wrath of God to be on you for all eternity, and God in Christ found you and died for you on the cross, and saving you, giving you a new place, a new home, and a new life. And the third is this. Are those for whom Christ died worthy of your love? I realize at face value that this is quite an easy answer. Particularly those of us who have been around the church for some time, are those for whom Christ died worthy of your love? The answer is absolutely yes. But I wonder as we evaluate as a people, as individuals, would we find that It's actually more difficult for those in my church, even those in my home, to find love from me, to find love exhibited from me. Would those in your close circle have to say, no, I actually find myself very often having to earn that individual's love? It's much different than the love that I find exemplified in the cross of Christ. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it, and yet he gave his love freely to me. But we as God's people, God's church, as recipients of that kind of agape love in Christ, be the first ones to make it easy for those to find love and acceptance in this church. Find forgiveness here. When we realize that Christ is to be all in his church, when we realize that Christ and his glory is what should be shining bright in our midst, it is then that our love will fully and freely shine forth. Right? And his love will rightly shine. This is Christ's church for whom he died. And so we close this morning by remembering the ultimate display of love on the cross. And here's what I would say. If you are a member of Christ's church, you have repented of your sins and you have trusted in faith by Christ Jesus, we'd invite you to partake in this meal. But first, before we begin doing that, I want, you to take, I want you to take your cup. I want you to hold it. And if you need to go ahead and, and lift open that first layer, you can go ahead and do that. If you're a member of Christ's church and you didn't gather one of the elements, would you just lift your hand and one of the ushers will bring those your way? But what I'd like to do is just give us an opportunity as God's people this morning to evaluate our heart before him. God, would you search our hearts? You know us. You know what we do behind closed doors. You know the way that we operate. You know the way that we treat our family. You know the way that we think about our brothers and sisters in this church. You know the ways in which we despise going out of our way for another. You know all of those things, and yet you still freely give yourself to us in love. And so would we just spend uh, some time in prayer right now?